What's up, everybody? This is Mind Your Money with Miss Be Helpful, a show that highlights people and stories that will inspire you to get your money right. Today on the podcast, I'm really excited to talk to Alexis from Financially Brave. What's up, Alexis? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to talk to you. So I had planned to have you on the podcast a little earlier on and tech issues, tech issues, tech issues. But you're you're on here. You're going to be on now. And I'm so excited to have a conversation with you. I want to start by first just giving you a chance to introduce all of the people that are listening or watching on YouTube. Um, give them a chance to uh, just kind of get an intro to what Financially Brave is all about and tell them a little bit about yourself as well. Yeah. So my name is Alexis Howard and I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Um, and like many other people in the United States, I did not have a lot of access or exposure to financial literacy. So, um, I grew up most of my life, not knowing a darn thing about budgeting stocks, right. bonds, and accounts. And I ended up moving to San Francisco. And for those of you, for those of you who do not know how expensive San Francisco is, it's one of the most expensive cities in the United States. And so after I graduated from school, I really had to start figuring out how to manage money effectively because there was just no way I was going to be able to sustain myself without having, you know, without having some sort of plan with my money. Um, so I did everything that I could in my power to, you know, get my hands on podcasts and books and, you know, networking events, anything that I could, you know, get my hands on in terms of learning about finance and investing and wealth. And I ended up working in a few real estate firms and a few wealth management firms. And in that, between the research I did on my own and then also um, just working in real estate or financial spaces, I should say, I gained a lot of knowledge that helped me through my own wealth building journey. And, you know, I ended up in just one year saving over $25,000 on a five figure salary. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've just created a business teaching other people how they can use their income currently to change their lives. That's amazing. So, okay. So financially brave started off as, is it like workshop based or was it like virtual stuff in person events or was it like website based blog posts? Like how did you start off launching it? It was exactly like, it was more so on the blog space, blog type of structure. Mm-hmm. I started on Instagram and really like the majority of my audience is on Instagram. And it just started with me sharing like some thoughts or some quotes and then behind the quotes, sharing like my inter- interpretation of it and, you know, instructional videos, stuff like that. And then it just started to expand into me, you know, doing webinars and, you know, offering a program where I walk people through that wealth building journey from start to finish. That's awesome. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. So one of the things that I love to talk about, and it's the first thing that I start with on the podcast is financial regrets, because I feel like a lot of times when we talk about money, it's really negative. But when we look at people like you who offer workshops or like me who post content on YouTube, people like to assume that we have it all together. We must just know everything about money. We don't have any, you know, mistakes or regrets. And Obviously, you and I both know that is not the case. That's just not true. So so I always like to start there. So go ahead and tell us um, maybe like the biggest purchase that you made or the financial decision that you made that is your biggest regret. You know, it's so interesting because I've been asked this question before and it's really difficult for me to answer because growing up, I didn't really have access to a lot of money. Even when I was mm. in school, I on a very standard income. Um, and so it's hard for me to make a big regret purchase purchase because I didn't have money to, to really do that. Um, but I would say that I, there was a lot of regret. Like when I look back at it now, um, first off, the regrets have helped me to where I am today. It would be, it wasn't for the bad, if, if, if I hadn't done the bad spending decisions back then, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. So with the money mm-hmm. that I was, I was 
not retaining any of it. So I would maybe purchase, you know, some clothing that I didn't need, or I would eat out more than I should or something like that. But I just didn't have the capacity to like spend on a big product or a big item because I just didn't have the money to do it. So it's just more so negligence with my income, I would say. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good answer because the reality is a lot of times when we think about like that one mistake that we made or that one purchase that we wish we could take back, like, yeah, if you take that back, that's not going to change your whole financial situation, right? Like, and so I like that you said like it was general financial negligence that like constant small decisions that just didn't really lead me to be the smartest with the money that I was making. So that that's actually a really good answer. Thank you. Yeah, and I think like the best thing about financial journeys is the regret because you have to start there. You have to realize that you're not in a great situation for you to improve on it, you know? So yeah. That's how I look at it. That is so true. If it doesn't change you, it, if it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. You have to start by saying, this is going to, this is something that I'm totally doing wrong. Obviously I'm like, I don't have it together. I, you have to acknowledge that first of all, admit it, and then get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm cool. I finally get it. But it definitely starts with the regret and like admitting you're wrong. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's flip it on its head. Let's do the opposite question. A time where you made a financial decision or a financial purchase, something that you bought or experience, a service, a product, and you, maybe other people looking in your budget would be like, girl, you are tripping. That is way too much money to spend on that, whatever that thing is. But you, you... You don't regret it. You don't care if other people might judge you for it. Even though it was a lot of money, you still feel like you are glad you made it that purchase and you don't regret it. Yeah. Um, I think like one of the first things that came to mind when you asked was how I spent on books via Amazon a couple months ago. $500, literally like $500 on just a bunch of books. And I think for a lot of people, you'd be like, why? Like there's so many things you could buy with $500 and I chose to buy it on just paperback books. So yeah. I read it one bit. Cool. I mean, I, I think everybody has their thing that they value. And for you, it sounds like you you got into personal finance education. You got into this passion because of how much you learned about it in a short period of time. And reading books, honestly, like to me, I, I don't know. I cannot imagine like not reading to learn. Like, and, and I post videos because I know that a lot of people, they prefer to watch videos and learn that way. But for me, I don't know, like I've always been a, a, a lover of reading and a lover of books ever since I was a little kid. So I, I agree. I feel like books is one area where I, I wouldn't really be regretful of spending a lot of money on books. Um, and I, especially because like, I don't know when we were in college, like we had to spend hundreds of dollars on textbooks that we used one semester, put it on the shelf. It gets a bunch of dust on it. You, you try to sell it and you only get like $8 back for it when you try to sell it. Like, and yet now we get to spend money on books that we want to, not textbooks that we have to read, but books that we want to read. So I, I think it's a different, it's a shift and more kind of like exciting to buy books now. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. So what, what is you like? I'm going to put you on the spot. I didn't plan to ask you this, but since you mentioned books, what are some of like maybe two or three books that you recently read that you love, 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 love? Oh gosh. Okay. I've like, I shift between, I haven't, to be honest with you, I haven't actually read many personal finance books lately. Okay. Um, I'm doing a lot of mindset and like learning mm. about this and stuff like that. But mindset, I would have to say is like my top category. Like it can never go wrong with that. Um, right. So Untamed was really good. I just reread You Are a Badass this week. I loved Ooh. Principles. That was yes. really, really good. Yes. Such a good um, one. Yeah. There's so many. Um, I like to revisit a lot, but one book that I came across that really helped me this year, I don't know why, 
but it just, I think it was the style of how this author was talking, but it's Stop Checking Your Likes by Susie Moore. Ooh, um, I have not heard of that book. Let me, I'm going to jot that one down. It's really good. Yeah. And it was just, it doesn't really have much to do with like your physical likes on, on social media or anything like that, but it's really just about like self-empowerment and I don't know, just her perspective and the way, the way she was communicating with the reader really resonated with me. Um, so that was probably one of my favorite books this year. Um, that's awesome i i agree i think mindset books are so important and they're also like overlooked like i feel like a lot of people skip that part of because it's part of money honestly it's funny that you mentioned like oh i haven't been reading personal finances but honestly i think personal finance the first step to personal finance is your money mindset and like where you are that's why like i call my podcast mind your money because it's it's a combination of the what you know about money but also what's happening in your mind in terms of what are your beliefs around money what are your values around money what does money mean to you and how do you use money when you get it and if you don't explore those thoughts and ideas and reflect on that stuff for yourself before you start planning your retirement and saving your emergency fund and budgeting out your monthly expenses, like you're kind of skipping, I think the most important step. So I, I love that you mentioned mindset yeah. books. I think that's so important for sure. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. I think it's overlooked in like almost any industry. Like even if it comes to building a business or if people who want to like, you know, start going to the gym and like losing weight, like it always starts with you making the choice in your mind. Like your mind is what you have to take care of to get that done, you know? And so making sure just the best shape um, mentally is really going to determine how you succeed, in my opinion. So yeah, I like so hard for my my personal development books. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think one of the best books that I read in 2020 was um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Have you read that one? No, I have to write that down. Oh, girl. Oh, that's going to be my recommendation for you because I know okay. you like reading business books. So yeah. Shoe Dog is about Phil Knight who created Nike and it's the backstory of the business from start to like where it is today. Like now we, we hear Nike, we're like, oh, it's a big corporation. It's this big company. Right. But but when it started, it wasn't like that. And there's so many stories that he tells about the very beginning bootstrapping his way to creating this company. And, you know, just like it's crazy how many days and nights he spent not knowing if the if the business was still going to be open the next day, if he was going to have money to pay his his employees, like crazy stuff like that. And I thought like just the way he wrote it. You, you kind of like you can't put it down until you finish it. It's one of those page turners. Like I definitely recommend it. Shoe dog. So good. Okay. Yeah. I just wrote it down. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, if you definitely. like stuff, I have one quick recommendation for you as well. Have you heard of, I think it's called Made, it, Made in America by Sam Walton. No, I haven't. Girl, if we you gonna start like, a book. We gonna start a book club yeah, right now. I'm no. telling you. <laughs> yeah. This is the guy who started um, Walmart actually. And his journey. Yeah. It's just kind of, when you were talking about that, it reminded me of Made in, Amer Made in America. And apparently Jeff Bezos makes all of his employees read it before they start at Amazon. So uh, all right. Yeah, I, gotta, so I definitely got to check it out. Yeah, definitely. I jotted it down. It's happening. Um, cool. All right. So I, I love to kind of, we, we touched on this a little bit about how as natural lovers of books and reading that sometimes that kind of happens early in life. And you mentioned like growing up in LA and not having a lot of access to money. Can you kind of tell us a little bit more about your upbringing? Cause I always find that sometimes people don't realize how much where they are today connects back to some of their early life lessons. And especially since you work in the financial space, some early money lessons. So tell us like, you know, a little bit more about your family, a little bit about your upbringing and specifically any early money lessons or money memories that come to mind from your childhood? Yeah. Um, 
So growing up in Los Angeles, I grew up in a household with both my mom and my dad, but my mom decided to be a stay-at-home mom pretty early on in life when I was around mm -hmm. five or six. Um, and then even as a teenager, it switched. So my mom ended up going back to work and then my dad was a stay-at-home dad. So we always had a parent that was in the household, but obviously um, when it comes to income, if you only have one person bringing in mm -hmm. to impact like your financial stability. Right. Um, and we were in a decent area in the Los Angeles area. I grew up like out in a valley right outside of LA. Mm -hmm. And when it came to money, my parents really did their best to keep us out of it. So it wasn't something that like, when it came to any sort of conversations that my mom and dad were having about money, I was not overhearing that. Um, they tried to keep us as children and just not having to stress about adult issues. Mm -hmm. But when I started to get a little bit older, that's when I started to kind of start putting pieces together. One big piece was that I was sharing a room with my brothers up until the age from when we moved in all the way up until I left for college. Like, Ooh. yeah, exactly. But to me, it was normal, but it wasn't, right. like, you know, I'm in middle school and I started to see how other people were living their lives. And I was like, oh, yes. it's normal for a girl to share a room with her two brothers, you know? Yep. Um, yep. So that was something. And then as you know, around my teenage years, I think my mom became a little bit more like transparent with it. So she wasn't, um, there was never, the financial burden was never on us, but I was very aware that like, there was just decisions that they had to make where money was scarce. Like we, you know, right. we always had food on the table, but we weren't always able to do the extra things. Right. And, um, my relationship to money was just, I don't, I don't know, because I didn't think a lot about it as a child. I just didn't realize how much it impacted my own ignorance and like my own negligence as I grew older. Like I didn't realize that there was a way to be responsible with money because it was just always something that um, I didn't really understand, I guess. And so yeah. it wasn't really until I left for school and I had to figure it out because my parents weren't going to be able to help me, especially in San Francisco, mm -hmm. where I was like, this is how money works and this is how you should like use it to help serve you. And this is how, when, you know, when I have children, I don't have to repeat my own childhood yeah. for them. You know? um, yep. But I was fortunate in the fact that like my parents were pretty private about their financial matters and I didn't start putting the pieces together until I was a little bit older, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does make sense. I think it's, it's interesting that like your perspective is like, well, I'm really fortunate that my parents kind of shielded me from it. And I wonder yeah. if there's, I mean, I, I imagine that there probably are people that would take the opposite perspective and say, oh man, no, you, you would have been lucky if they had told you more about the finances and kind of let you in on the struggle so that you were hyper aware of it. And maybe that would have, you know, kind of changed you a little bit. In my case, I don't know. I don't know. It's just something that I thought of as you mentioned, as you kind of talked about how like, oh, I, I'm really fortunate about not having have been involved in that. And of course, I mean, as a kid, like you don't as a child, you don't want to have to be dealing with like those types of adult problems. It sucks when children or teenagers have to take on adult issues and adult problems. It happens all the time, but it's just unfortunate. And ideally, that wouldn't be the case. So I, I get why you say that. But it's interesting to think like, how might you have turned out differently if you were attuned to the struggle and like the money decisions that your parents were making and how tough it was on just one income. And, you know, if that maybe would have brought you to financial um, education and personal finance earlier, or if it maybe would have turned you away from it and frustrated you, I don't know. It just, it's just an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think when I say like, I'm fortunate about it. I think to be honest with you, because towards the end, like the tail end of my teenage years, I was a lot more aware of what was going on. Yeah. Um, I don't think 
I think it would have, it was just a reality that I had accepted. Like, oh, money is just, this is how money works. Like for a lot of people, you know, money is tight for a lot of people. So I don't know, like, I think what really triggered it is me actually having to be responsible for my own finances, you know? Yeah. So I don't know if, and maybe it would have, but I don't know if I had known sooner, if like, I would have been like, oh, wow, like I should learn about this. I think I would have just been like, wow, like this is money. Like, okay, this really, you know, like I yeah. just think I would have accepted. And, yeah. and there's a lot of people are aware of their financial situations early on and like you know they grew up and still like repeat their the patterns of their childhood That's so I think right. it just varies I imagine it just varies from person to person yep I totally agree and also not just person to person but also environment to environment because I feel like your environment is really what informs the decisions that you make like you know it's oh it's a saying a popular saying that like tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are and also that you're the average of your, the five closest people around you yeah. that you talk to the most. Like those types of, of idioms and expressions and those sayings, it's like a good reminder that if you're in a certain environment where it is top of mind to be aware of financial savvy and, you know, smart money decisions and money management, then it's going to rub off on you. Whether you yeah. are actively looking for it or not, it's in the air you breathe. It's in your environment. So you're going to naturally kind of, you know, take that on. Versus if you're in an environment where nobody talks about it, nobody mentions it, it doesn't come up, like, of course it's not going to happen for you because it's it's almost as if it's just not part of your existence. Yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. And I think, I think me moving to San Francisco really helped with that too. When you're in Silicon Valley, you're with like some of the greatest minds and there's so much wealth here. Right. Um, that definitely impacted like my journey for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it opens your mind to like, wait, whoa, yeah. this is, this is possible. Like if this is possible, then I want some. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I, I definitely, um, I can definitely relate to that. So tell me, okay, so tell us a little bit about that transition because you mentioned like, you know, growing up there and being in LA and, and not being super aware of it. And then all of a sudden moving to San Francisco, like what, you know, um, was the, the catalyst for that move and how did you transition over into a career within the financial space, whether it had to do, you, you mentioned real estate and you also mentioned investment banking. Like tell us a little bit about that transitional phase. Yeah. So I went to school originally. I wanted to be a doctor. That was something that I wanted to do in high school. And I started college as a, a science major. Mm -hmm. I had gone to San Francisco just, just because I was ready to get out of Los Angeles. I think I've always been kind of pretty ambitious and like I like to like, like change and stuff like that. And so I had gone into school in DC and my mom was like, ah, I'm too far. Like we want you closer. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up going to school in San Francisco and still like while I was in school, the reality of like managing money and all of that was still not really something that I was too keen on. Mm -hmm. But while I was in college, I got my first job as like my first real job in a real estate, like property management firm. And so mm -hmm. I had some exposure. Yeah. At such a young age, I had some pretty decent exposure to, um, just like real estate and people who worked in real estate and, you know, very, just having really wealthy colleagues. Um, but it wasn't until I left that job to go into another real estate, uh, property management firm where I was in a very toxic working situation. I had a mm -hmm. boss who was just and um it was just a very unhealthy space like he would yell at me like he'd literally scream in people's faces and like he would tell people to go in time out like he was just what like, are we in third grade he said time out oh no oh no yeah it was pretty wild what? and I was so anxious I was so unhappy Ugh. but the thing is I didn't have the resources to leave so you're just like between a rock and a hard place because you need money to pay your rent and to pay your bills but then also you're in a situation where like you're not happy, but like that's paying, that's putting food on the table. And so that really like, Ugh. 
that really was kind of like a rude awakening where I was like, first off, I'm never going to be in a situation again where I'm so vulnerable and like the lack of money in my bank account is determining my direction in life, you know? Mm. And so it was really at that point, like specifically that point where I started to do a lot of a lot of work and research into wealth. Um, and just because I had some pretty decent experience in college, I was able to then go ahead, segue into real estate investment firms, and then also wealth management as well, where just more exposure to finance, more exposure to people who, you know, were top dog in their industry, which was really helpful for me to see how not only how people like manage their money, but also how wealthy people act. Like yes. it was talking to me because I would come into work, work was at, you know, nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I would walk in and half of the office was already there, you know, and people were, it was the work ethic behind wealthy people was also very, very shocking to me and impressive. Yeah. It's such a different thing. It's like, it's, it's kind of like almost like a culture shock, right? Like you, it's a totally different way of being, way of speaking, way of acting, way of carrying yourself, the, 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 um, like the, the turn of phrase, the expressions that they use. Like, it's like, it's almost like a totally different, like a foreign country. Like when you go from what, you know, go to the totally different world. And, you know, that happened, that, that was true for me when I, when I went off to college. So I went to Brown and in New York city, I grew up low income, you know, just like you, only one parent was working in my, in my household. And I have a lot of brothers and sisters. I had four brothers and four sisters, so I didn't have to sleep with the boys, but the girls had to sleep all in one room. So I had to sleep with in one room with all my sisters, and then the boys had their own room. And so just picture like a bunch of bunk beds because that's how we we had the setup. But you know, leaving like leaving that environment, going to college at Brown, where like you know most of the kids are very wealthy, that was for me that same experience that you mentioned, where you're like whoa, like wealthy people, they, they act different, they think different, they talk different. Like they have a totally different uh, view of yeah. the world and a different experience. And it's yeah. almost as if like if you never get a chance to go outside of your environment and see a different environment, you never, you know, you, yeah. you, you're never going to really push yourself to think about yeah. what's outside. Uh, I mean, maybe some people do. They might wonder, but you, it's, it's never really that much of like a real push until you go. You right. just literally get yourself out of your comfort zone and go and see how other yeah. people live. 100%. 100%. It's so important, especially for people who want to like really like it, it's always best to like there's a quote on it and I don't know it. So I'm not gonna even try to like attempt to like put it together. But essentially like when you see someone doing what you want to do or someone that you inspire to be, or is at a place where you want to be, like you need to associate with people who are, who are like-minded as that person, you know? And so mm-hmm. yeah, it's a rude awakening, but a, a very pleasant one if you're looking to, you know, change your life. Yep. I, I love that. That's such a great point. Okay, so I would love to, because um, I mean, you you do a lot of investment workshops. You help a lot of people understand the stock market, and you know, on your Instagram, you can obviously you have so many followers that you know go to you for investment content. So I wanted to throw a question at you because I get like people ask me all the time on Instagram. They DM me on my YouTube comments in the videos. They comment and they ask me. They email me and they call, and it's like a lot of times these questions I hear again and again. And so I want, I want to address one that I feel like you're going to have a very similar answer to the one I always give, but I do want us to talk about it. So this question comes from so many different people, but in my email, it's right now things are looking crazy with the stock market and the economy because of COVID. While people are excited about a vaccine potentially coming soon in the U.S. and around the world, is it a good time to invest in the stock market? How do you know if you're ready to actually begin investing in stocks and where to start? 
this question, you know, it's funny because right now they framed it as COVID and the, and the economy and, you know, um, coronavirus, but it's always something. It's always something. So even if it wasn't COVID right now, it might be something else like, oh, everything is, you know, there's a recession going on or, oh, right now the stock market is, is in, a, in a bear market. It's dropping. So is it a good time? to? People always want to know, is it a good time to invest? And that question, it's like, I get it so many times. I'm like, you know what? Let's hear what Alexis has to say to that question. Yeah, I think it's always a good time to invest when you are looking at the history of the stock market over time, specifically the like when I say stock market, I'm really referring to like America's strongest companies. Yes, we've always seen there's a recovery. And so you, the part of being a really good investor, or a really great investor or a really successful investor is not being emotional about, you know, turbulence with stocks mm -hmm. or with what's happening in there's going to be years where the market is down significantly and there's going to be years when the market is up significantly. And while nobody, like nobody on this planet can really predict what's going to happen five years down the line or two years down the line or even next year, right? Like no one knows where the stock market is going to be. Right. But if we're looking at just like the historical average, the market has returned eight to 10%. So as an investor, you can go in having that as kind of like your baseline. And when the market is down, that's an even better time to invest because everything is on sale. Mm -hmm. If it's $100, let's just say, right, it might drop down to $50 or something. It, in that instance, you would want to buy more Apple stock because it's cheap. It's cheaper, right? But right. fluctuations are inevitable in the market. It's not always going to ever be going up. It's not always going to always be going down. Like that's just life. You know, everything kind of ebbs and flows. Yep. Um, just like your emotions, you're not always going to be happy. You're not always going to be sad. Like everything just fluctuates and it's no different with the market. So keep your emotions out of it. Stay consistent. It's a long-term game, not a game for tomorrow or the day after. Mm -hmm. um, for like, you know, historically the market has always had our backs as investors. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, it's the same wisdom that all of the famous investors share, Warren Buffett's, the Ray Dalio's. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, I think you if you are not comfortable with uncertainty, if you're not comfortable with like the, I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but I have a pretty good like knowledge, pretty good chance. And based on history, there's a pretty good chance that this could happen, but it's not guaranteed. That is what you have to get comfortable with. The idea that, well, no, it's not 100% guaranteed, but if you look at every single empirical study, every single chart, every piece of data, every single year in the past, you know, 100 years of stock market performance, that, that should be enough information to make you feel good enough to start. But for some people, I find that they just can't get over that. Like, but so I'm not guaranteed. I'm not guaranteed to make any money. Like I could lose money or, or things could not go my way. And it's, it's like, you like, I don't know how to, um, like, besides like grabbing somebody by the shoulders and just shaking them, like <laughs> how to just like, like you just, yes, that is the hard pill you have to swallow, but you just have to get over that. And because the, the alternative is that you have 100% certainty that you're going to get 1% or 2% fixed interest on your savings account. And then guess what? After inflation hits, which hits at about 2%, now your money didn't grow at all. So it's like you, you could either settle for a 0%, no growth at all. The money's just going to kind of whatever I put in is what I'm going to have in the future. Or you can take a little risk, yes, but manage that risk and know that you're going to get something better than zero or two or one percent because of all of the data that exists. That you have to trust the data, yeah. I guess. Like that's like kind of what I've told people, but I, I think it's that uncertainty that makes people uncomfortable. 
Yeah. And I think like you hit the nail on the head with everything that you just said. And I think it's, it's also really important that people accept that any sort of reward, any reward requires risk. And that's not just even with the stock market. That's in general, if you want to start your own business or you want to do something that is going to kind of be above average from, Mm. you know, typical society activities or norms, then you have to be willing to be okay with some uncertainty. And so, yeah, the alternative is just you have security, but then with that security, there's not much growth, you know, that's every aspect of life, you know? So it, and there's out there who are like that, who just prefer to just have capital preservation. They just, it matters that their income is, is available to them. And if, if it works for them, it works for them, you know, but if you're somebody who actually cares about growth and actually, that sounds rude. If you actually care about growth, I mean, just really want your money to grow is what I mean by that. Um, you have to be okay with like, it's a, it's a payoff. You can't expect that the market is going to like skyrocket your, your money, but then also guarantee you certainty. Like that's just not how life works. You know, you have to be give and take. So. Yep. I think it's like a seesaw. Like when you give a little, you also expect to get a little on the other side. It's kind of, you, you can't expect it. Everything like both sides of the seesaw to go up at the same time. Exactly. That, that's not, that. Right. that's just not like get on a seesaw and you will see that that never happens. It's impossible. Physics will not allow both sides. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be secure yeah. and, and sure and like risk-free guaranteed a certain percent interest fixed. And also take the risk of putting money in uh, a company that could fail. Like it's just not going to happen, right? Like, and so I mean, I, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right that if you're gonna if you value security and safety and knowing a hundred percent for sure that your money's going to be there, then you are essentially sacrificing the the potential to grow that money, and that's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you so much later in life. I think yeah. like. One of the things I always think about when it comes to investing is that my parents, they, you know, my dad turned 70 recently, retired, but didn't really have any money to retire with. So he was just depending on that social security check, which, you know, in New York yeah. City, when you have, a, a, you know, rent to pay, you have food to buy, you have, you know, things that you need on a day to day just to make it, you know, to yeah. get by a $900, dollars social security check. That is yeah. not going to cut it. That is not going to do. That's that's like the equivalent of the government giving us a $600 ref, um, you know, stimulus check and expecting yeah. that to make all the difference. It's not going to do much. And no. so I, I think like I want to like as many people to know that you can live a very normal average life like your parents, like have the kids, have your house, have your, you know, vacation every year, you know, have things that you like, like a pretty normal average everyday life. Maybe you are not trying to be a millionaire, but billionaire or whatever. But at the end of the day, when I look at my dad now, I wonder if, if I have a very similar life to him, like I have, you know, I'm happy. I have all the things, you know, have a house, have kids, have this and that. But the big difference is that when I retire at 70, he didn't have anything. I will have a giant account with money that I've been investing for decades, which means I won't have to worry about my future children taking care of me. I won't have to worry about the government not providing enough. I won't have to worry about, you know, whether I'm going to be able to pay my rent or buy food for myself or if I want to take a trip to visit my grandbabies, am I going to be able to afford it? Like those issues are going to be non-existent for me and for my dad and my mom those issues are very real and they cause them a lot of stress so I just I I want people to kind of think of it like that like you are going to live a very normal life you're just doing one little tiny thing differently 
which is taking right. a little piece of every time you get a paycheck, take a little piece, put it in an investment account. And by the time you go to just enjoy the fruits of your labor, give up work and just kind of re- retire and enjoy your, the rest of your years, you won't have to worry about money. That is yeah. what you're what you're building up to. 100%, 100%. And you hit like, when you say like, it's just a tiny piece of your income, you know, like literally $200 in and of itself over a long period of time will serve you so well in the future. And it's like, what do we spend $200 on now? It's Uber Eats or like, you know, <laughs> yes. jeans, whatever, you know, like yep. just make it like you have to think long-term when it comes to money management. And even though you might be able to survive paycheck to paycheck now, because you do have a job, what happens when you retire and you're no longer, like you are no longer employed? Like what, right. what does that look like, you know? And what are the repercussions of that? Because it's bigger than just, you know, paying rent and putting food on the table is also important. But then like you said, what about if you want to visit your grandchildren? What if you want to travel? What if you just want to enjoy life? You know, you're yes. getting older, like, there's so many other elements that I think people need to think about. And it's hard to get people who are really young to think about because they're so young and the reality is not even close to that, yep. you know? So yep. that's a great point. A very small sacrifice, you know? Yep. It's a great point. I, that's how, that's how I try to think about it. And like, I just try to get as many young people to think of it that way is to say like, don't think about yourself. Think about your parents. Think about your aunts <laughs> and your uncles. Think about your grandparents. Like, don't you wish that you could fix things for them? Well, for them, it's too late, but it's not too late for you. So <laughs> when you become their age, like, I, I just want more people to think that way. Yeah. But like you said, it's hard. If you're young, it's so hard to fast forward and think ahead because you just worry about right now. You're just trying to live your best life right now. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. I mean, I get it. I get it. Well, thank you so much, Alexis. This is such a fun conversation. Like, everything you say, I'm like, yes, yes. Every word that's dripping out of your mouth, I'm like, yes, yes, snaps, snaps. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I love what you're building with your platform. I want to keep doing what you're doing. And we'll definitely share in a second where people can go find you, support you and all that kind of stuff and reach out to you. But I want to end with this um, final question that I always wrap up the podcast with, which is to have you share a money motto or a money message that you, that you use, or maybe it's like a money mantra that you want to share with people. But basically what I do is I'll take a dollar bill and Photoshop your face onto the dollar bill instead of George Washington's face on it. And then, you know, instead of putting uh, United States of America over the top, I'm going to remove that and put your money model. So the idea is that, you know, when people use money and when people need to spend and transact, they're going to see this money mantra and it's going to constantly remind them of this message that you want them to think about when they go to manage money or to spend money. So what would that money message be? I think one that I've like really been taking a liking to recently is what you aren't changing, you're choosing. Um, and the reason why I like that is because as you and I just talked about, it's just a very small commitment that you need to make to change your, your financial future, right? A small application of your income into your paycheck or into your, into your investment accounts. And when it relates to money and spending money, you have to realize, not you specifically, but one person has to realize that, um, you know, you cannot control the circumstances you were born into. You cannot control what your teachers taught you when you were in high school. You cannot control a lot of circumstances that you were, that just were brought upon you, but you do right. control what you do with the circumstances and how you continue to better yourself from that. And so if you are in a situation where you're not happy with your finances, you need more guidance with, with investing or whatever it is at this point in time, it's important that you make the choice. Um, do better for yourself because if you're not changing your reality then you're choosing it at that point and so people need to think about that every decision that they make with with any transaction they're involved in i love that i love that so much because people tend to feel like 
like a little bit of like that victim mentality of like, you know, and, and the reality is I don't like the, the, to use the word like, oh, victim mentality a lot. I try not to say that because there are systemic issues that are sure. like, we're not going to sit here and lie and pretend that, oh, it's all the individual's fault. Right. No, right. of right. course not. There are so many systemic factors. There's, you know, legislation that needs to be put in place. There are systemic issues that need change. But the, the reality is if we are constantly working at that, change is going to come slow and that's, we should continue to constantly work on those changes that need to happen. And we need to be, you know, holding our legislators accountable, but that is going to be slow change. Your individual level of change can, can happen immediately can happen today. If you make the decision today to start budgeting or to start saving or to start generating more income, guess what? It starts to happen as soon as you decide and make it happen. But with all of the systemic stuff that requires change, that change is going to come slow. We should still definitely keep working on it, but understand that the fact is it is going to happen slowly, but you can make quick change in your own life. So I, I think it's not, I don't, I don't want to say like victim mentality, but a lot of times people do say like, oh, well, but, but it's not my fault. It's this, it's that it's, and at the end of the day, it's yeah, but you are continuing to choose to stay that way. And I love that. Like, I don't know I, the phrasing of like, if you don't change it, you're choosing it. And I, I think that is so true because now it puts the choice, the ball in your court to yeah. either continue to choose that or to stop, stop choosing that. If you don't like it, don't choose it anymore. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. No. And I love that you pointed out like with, with the term victim mentality, because there absolutely are issues that are systemic. And, you know, that's why I said, like, we can't control that. Like if you were born into just a circumstance right. that wasn't, you know, I like a lot of people are, and it's a very real and serious and unfortunate mm. reality that so many people have to face. I was born into that as well, right. you know, right. but, um, just because that is your reality doesn't mean that you don't have the power to to make a difference. And we should still be pushing for things to happen on a systemic level. But you do have control when you go into, you know, Zara or Target or whatever. You do have the choice to retain maybe $50 and throw that into Fidelity or whatever instead of dropping it on makeup or what, you know. So, like, you, it is still, our lives still boil down to our choices always. Yeah. A hundred percent. Absolutely love it. All right, girl. Well, you have dropped so many gems on us. Let people know um, if they want to reach out to you and tell you that you inspired them on this episode, whether it's on YouTube or on the podcast, and they want to just, you know, follow you, follow your journey, follow your content, maybe take one of your courses. Where can they find you online? Yeah, my primary base is just on Instagram at Financially Brave. Um, if you want to have like a more, there's some links on my act, in my actual bio, but if you want to reach out to me directly, that's just at Alexis at financiallybrave.com. Awesome. All right, y'all heard it there. Do not be shy. Reach out to Alexis if her story inspired you. If you want to even just follow and, you know, quietly see her content, it's awesome. There's so much good stuff on there. And I've reposted you quite a bit because I'm like, yes, girl, snaps, snaps. I love it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, definitely go ahead. Don't be shy to reach out. I've been saying this every episode. It's like if you hear something that inspires you and motivates you, let that person know. It's always nice to hear from somebody like, wow, I heard you on this. And it was so awesome to hear your story. It always makes me smile. always makes me feel great. Like, you see, I'm making an impact. And people definitely do feel that that impact so yes i'm excited to do it thank you for having me i really appreciate it it was fun